only thing I can think is it's a good thing they did that Wednesday instead of today, because if they did it today on that parking lot, it would have been fried eggs by the end of this experiment, right? It is so hot. I have never been more grateful for air conditioning. Did you guys see? I saw this in the news yesterday. Uh, it's supposed to be 130 degrees in Death Valley this weekend, uh, which I think is supposed to be maybe the highest recorded temperature on record. And because of that, tourists are flocking to Death Valley to experience it so they can say they experienced the hottest summer on record, 130 degrees. I lived in Vegas just a few hours away from Death Valley for four years as a pastor, and what I'll tell you is 130 is no different than 125. Either way, you have to be in the air conditioning. You're wasting your time. So, well, I don't know if you know what a starter kit is or a starter pack, but when you decide to get into something, like a new hobby or a new field, sometimes it can be overwhelming to look at all the things you have to purchase, and so you just go out and get a starter kit. Uh, let's say it's running. Matt Van Gint, who's our executive pastor around here, uh, Matt ran an ultra marathon earlier this year. Actually, this is his second one. An ultra marathon is a 50K run. That is 31 miles. Uh, this was in San Jose and actually up in the mountains over San Jose. It's all run on hiking trails. 31 miles. Took about seven hours for him to run it. Uh, personally, I can't fathom choosing to run for two hours, but um, I thought about this. If a grizzly bear was chasing me, I would give in at about the 20 minute mark. No way seven hours, but Matt is into this stuff. So I asked him this week, if I wanted to get into ultra marathon running, what would be in the starter kit? Not that I'm going to, Matt, but like if I did, and he said, oh, I took a picture of all the things I need to take with me, and he sent it to me. Have a look at this. Uh, four water bottles, first aid supply kit, two carbohydrate energy bars, six packages of cis beta fuel, whatever that is, two energy supplements, eight energy gels, lip balm, a backpack, a hat, special socks, an anti-chafe stick, rain jacket, and not pictured, running shoes. This is what would be in your starter kit. Although, I don't know if anyone starts with an ultra marathon, right? Real quick, you notice how organized all of that is? That is why he's our executive pastor. That's, that's a lot of what he does around here. Well, about 10 years ago, somebody had a really funny idea, which was to create a series of memes that picked different people or different types of people or sometimes even different things you might do and then suggest what would need to be in a starter pack for that type of person or that activity. Typically funny things. And these memes caught on like wildfire for about 10 years now. People have been creating starting pack memes and typically you look at them and you go, yep, that, that's true. So like somebody said, if you needed to create a science lab in a movie your starter pack might have scientists who care enough to wear lab coats but never think to wear lab gloves you ever notice that that seems to be a requirement for movie science labs and tubes of colorful liquids and people running around with clipboards always have to have a few of those and experiments that only take five minutes but they always work the first time of course, nothing like real science labs. Oh, also, men in movie science labs tend to be mad scientists, a little bit crazy. Women could always be supermodels. Have you noticed that? Sound about right? You get the concept. These are not real starter, starter kits. After a while, these have just turned into lists of things that are true. Like, uh, here's another one. This is called a starter pack for things we all did as kids. It includes seeing your breath when it's cold outside and using that to pretend to smoke. Show of hands, how many of us did that? <laughs> Lots of us. 
uh, blowing bubbles in your milk to make it froth over, uh, finger drawing on windows that had any kind of condensation. Um, how many of us still do that? A few of us. Um, and talking into a fan to hear your voice sound kind of robotic. By the way, that's the original auto-tune right there. All right, one more. Uh, here's a starter pack of things that I thought were real everyday threats when I was a kid. The Bermuda Triangle, quicksand, and piranhas. I was very worried about piranhas in every single body of water I ever got into. Well, I want to ask you a question this morning that is going to lead us into a look at the final name of God we want to talk about in this series. If you were to put together a starter pack for battle, what would be in it? Now, I know that's kind of a weird question because most of us are, are not ever going to engage in any kind of real physical battle. Uh, and I guess if you were in the military and you answered that question, it might be very different than if you're a school teacher and you answered that question. Or if you thought of a battle as defending yourself against some kind of attack, uh, you might say mace, pepper spray, you might say some self-defense moves are in your starter pack. I guess the way you answer that question might have to do with what kinds of battles you think are coming your way, but, but that's okay, because uh, I don't know right now the kinds of battles you're in or that you see coming. I just know everybody's got something that they're battling. For some people, it's a person that they feel they're battling against, someone they hate, or worse, someone they love. For some people, it's a mental health battle, like they're battling their feelings or, or, or their state of mind quite a bit. Might be a battle with cancer. It might be a battle with failure, or more likely with the fear of failure. It might be a battle in the way that you compare yourself to other people. It's like this battle in your thoughts. Here's one, might be a battle with your sinful nature. Like the Apostle Paul, you find yourself doing things you hate and don't wanna do. You try to stop and yet you keep doing it. It's a battle. The battles are endless. We've all got some different ones and we've all got some similar ones and you likely have one that is coming to your mind right now and I'll just ask again, knowing that you have to prepare for battle against whoever or whatever this thing is, what is in your starter pack? Can I tell you what's in mind? See if you can relate to any of these. When I'm in a battle, I feel equipped if I have assurances from other people. Like, if you tell me it's gonna be okay as I think about whatever thing I'm battling against, that I'm gonna win, that it's all gonna work out, that can make me feel prepared. Or in my starter pack, I have a good backup plan. Uh, I'm a planner, I'm a strategizer, I like to think things through, and if I know I'm gonna have to struggle with something difficult, uh, battle something, I feel prepared if I have a backup plan, a plan B, uh, or with me, usually a plan C and a plan D too. I was thinking about this the other day, money can make me feel prepared. I don't have a lot of it, but depending on what it is I'm dealing with, if I can buy my way or pay my way through a battle, that might make me feel prepared. Like, like, you know how you might have a credit card with a limit far above what you ever want to spend, but it feels good knowing it's there if you're in a jam? Another way that I prepare is by equipping myself with the power of distraction. I know if the battle I'm in starts to get real hard, I can just distract myself from the problem, whatever that may be. Just try not to think about it. I think a lot of us, that's one of our coping mechanisms. And real similarly, one more for me, the power of avoidance. 
Some of us try to avoid the battle that's happening in our lives. Avoidance is actually a tool we've put in our starter pack for how to deal with the battle. I deal with it by not dealing with it. All of those are things that we might find in our starter pack, depending on what battle for you is coming to mind, and there's a problem, which is that almost all of those things have the potential to and will eventually let us down. There is a long history of people in this world who've been through what you've been through that could tell you these are not the things that you want to go to battle with. No, they're not. In fact, you have a long enough history of losing some battles to know that these are not what you want to go into battle with. You have another option of something to put in your pack. I want to tell you this morning, it is something that will not let you down. It is something that can bring you victory always. And I want to show it to you today and it has to do with a name for God that we see in the Bible. Wouldn't it be good to know what you should put in your starter pack? We find it in Exodus 17. I want to read a little bit to you, and then we'll just kind of stop and talk as we go, see what we're seeing. But what we're about to read takes place while God's people, the Israelites, are in the wilderness, and they're on their way to the promised land. God, God has led them out of slavery in Egypt, given them a leader. He's chosen Moses, and they're on their long journey to a new home. And verse 8 says this, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Okay, the Amalekites were a group of nomads from southern Palestine, and they were the descendants of Esau. Some of you might remember the story in Genesis. Jacob and Esau are these brothers. And Jacob steals Esau's birthright, which was a big deal in their culture, and Jacob runs away, starts a family. Well, years later, they make up, but they become two nations. And the Amalekites, Esau's descendants, are not fans of the Israelites, Jacob's descendants. And so the Amalekites come and they attack them. They mean to kill them. They start a battle. Take a look at verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Moses has a leader named Joshua, and he says, you lead the people into battle or into a defense of our families, and I will go up on that hill over there, and I will bring my starter pack. And are you ready for what's in this starter pack of Moses? The staff of God. Moses brings a staff. He brings a rod, something that he's been using as a walking stick. Now, what else is in his starter pack? Nothing just the staff. Let's talk about this thing. Earlier in his life, one day, Moses came across a burning bush. Uh, he was carrying his staff because he was a shepherd. He was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Uh, in this picture behind me, you'll see it on the ground next to him. And he comes to this bush, and God calls to him from this bush, and God says, it is me. I'm the God of your father, the God of your people. And Moses, I have seen the misery of my people slaves to the Egyptians, and I'm sending you to bring my people out of Egypt. And I want to show you what happens. Exodus 4, Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you, Moses. And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. See, this artist was wrong. He forgot to put the staff in Moses' hand, but I chose it because the other pictures I found were too cartoony, all right? So right here, this is the first time his staff makes an appearance in the Bible. God tells him, 
throw it on the ground right now. And Moses does, and the staff turns into a snake. Now, I love the detail in Exodus 4. Take a look. It says, Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. I love that it tells us he ran from it, because that is exactly what I would do too. So would you. That's just some freaky stuff right there. But God stopped him and said, Moses, reach out your hand and pick it up by the tail. And Moses, so unlike me, did it. And the snake turned back into his staff in his hand. And God said, if the people seem like they don't believe that I'm the one who sent you, do that. Do that, and it will convince people that I sent you and that I'll deliver them. And so Moses did that and a few other things, and it worked. The people believed that God was going to deliver them, and they realized that God had seen them in their misery, and they began to worship But what is important that you know, this staff represented God's power to Moses in God being able to rescue them from this battle they've been in, slavery. All right, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he has to convince Pharaoh to let the people go, and he's not having much luck. And so God says to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let my people go. So you, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river and confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the what? Are you reading this with me? Take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. That thing we did, take that staff again. And say to Pharaoh this, by this you will know that I am the Lord God. With the staff that's in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. And so Moses does this. He strikes the river Nile with his staff and all of this stuff we just read happens. And once again, once again, God's power manifests when Moses uses the staff. But seven chapters later in Exodus, in Exodus 14, Pharaoh agrees to let the people leave and they start making their way out of Egypt and Pharaoh has a change of mind and he starts chasing the Israelites and Moses and the armies are after them and again, we got another battle and Pharaoh corners them at the Red Sea. There's nowhere to go but through. And Moses, who trusts God, God's brought them out of Egypt. He's done a lot to make that happen. Moses decides to try something. He takes that staff that he's been carrying with him all this time, and in verse 21, it says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall on their left. And the Israelites, it made it, they made it through. And once again, God wins the battle with Moses and his staff. All right, one more moment I'll look at with you. Right before this battle that we started looking at with the Amalekites where they come, they attack God's people. Right before, same chapter, the entire community at the same place where they're about to be attacked but they don't know it yet. This is a few days before and they run out of water. And the people start complaining, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die out here of thirst? And and Moses says to God, verse four, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me, God. And God said, go out in front of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the what? Well done. With which you struck the Nile 
And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock with the staff, and water will come out of the rock for the people to drink. And Moses did it, and water came gushing out. And there's a really interesting detail in this story that we tend to overlook. If you've read this before, you might have missed this part. This little story about striking the rock, water coming out, it ends with, and Moses called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Massa means testing, Meribah means quarreling. He names the place that, but look, look at the question they were asking. Is the Lord with us or not? And maybe that's a question that you've asked. Maybe that's a question you've asked in whatever battle that you have been in. God, are you with me or not? Have you left me here to lose? Have you left me here to fail? Have you left me here to die? God answers Moses and the Israelites, I am with you. And how does he answer? with the staff again. This staff is not just a walking stick anymore or a shepherd's tool. The staff is the answer to the question, where is God? He's right here, he's with us in my staff. So, it is no surprise that when the Amalekites attack, Moses tells Joshua, gather the men, go fight, and I will stand up on a hill with, look at what he calls it, the staff of God in my hands. It's no longer my staff, it's the staff of God. And let's see what happens. Verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron and Hur, went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Okay, time out. Have you ever had to like freeze your standing position and after a very long period of time where you're not allowed to, to, to move, you gotta just stand there and, and, and you think to yourself, if I had known before they told us to freeze, I would not have chosen this position. Now I have to be a statue and it hurts. I, I, I always think of the people who are having to do that standing challenge on Survivor. They have to stand there like that for hours. If they move or fall off, they're out of the game. Well, as long as Moses held the staff in the air, the Israelites were winning the battle. When his arms would get tired, they would start losing. All right, verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it so that Aaron and Hur could hold his hands up, one on one side, one on the other. His hands would remain steady until sunset. They held his hands so that he could hold the staff all day long. And the passage goes on to say, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Moses brings the staff to battle. It is the only thing in his starter kit. Once again, the staff saves the day. Or does it? Here's a question for you. Was a wood stick really the secret to winning all these battles? Or was there something more? Verse 15 answers that question. Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. Here's what it says in Hebrew, Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Now, let's just pause there for a second, talk about something. What do you think of when you think of banners? 
Uh, I'm gonna guess that some of you think of something like this. Um, a welcome home banner that hangs on a wall or in a doorway or outside, or maybe a happy birthday banner, some kind of banner that celebrates something, right? Uh, and I'm gonna guess that some of you think of this guy, uh, Bruce Banner, the Incredible Hulk. You choose which actor prefer, you preferred playing Bruce Banner. I, I like them all, although I will say, I am very partial to the, to the troubled 1970s Bruce Banner played by Bill Bixby. Thank you. But can I tell you what ancient people likely thought of when they heard the word banner, what they thought of? They would think of their flag. And I guess that we kind of use it that way too. I mean, we call our national anthem the Star Spangled Banner. The, the Star Spangled Banner, of course, is a song about what? A flag that continued to fly even while rockets gave off red glares and bombs burst in the air. The flag was still there. Just like in ancient times, I guess banner still means flag. Now, of course, there are all sorts of flags in this world representing different places and different things. Um, real quick, um, let's try something. I wanna show you a flag. See if uh, you can guess what country the flag represents, okay? We'll, we'll go easy first. Um, what country has this flag? Canada. Yes, Canada. Uh, I cannot look at that flag and not think of pancakes. <laughs> and in my opinion, that makes it a great flag. Any flag that makes you think of breakfast is doing something right. Wouldn't we agree? <laughs> How about this one right here? Anybody know? This is Japan. And uh, I love this flag because I'm a terrible artist. And if I am ever asked to draw a flag, this is the one I'm gonna choose because it's just a red circle I have to make and I'm good. All right, one more, one more hard one this time. Anybody know what this is? I see you murmuring. No one said it yet. This has the British flag on there, so it might have some history as some kind of British colony. The answer is Bermuda, Bermuda. And you wanna know how you know? Because there's a sinking ship on it, which takes me back to my fears as a child of the Bermuda Triangle. It all, it all comes full circle. Okay, when we think of banners, we think of flags. And so did the people in the ancient world. If you were talking about a banner that you would carry into battle, you were likely talking about a flag that your troops would rally around. A flag would call everybody to action. And what is a flag? It's a big piece of fabric at the end of a long stick, a long pole, a long rod, or a staff. All right, I want you to picture this. As the Amalekites come and attack God's people, Moses does something very interesting. He does not attach a flag, a fabric flag, to the staff. He just walks up the hill and he holds up the staff, the flagpole, with nothing attached. Now, it was not unusual for leaders in battle to climb a hill and watch their soldiers fight in front of them. And, and as they watched to hold up that flag, their colors, their banner, and the, for the soldiers to see it and gain strength from it, our flag was still there. But what is highly unusual is for a nation's leader to hold up a flagpole with nothing attached. And why would Moses do that? Because this flagpole, this rod, this staff reminds us that God is still with us. And the soldiers could know in battle, God is still with us. He is here. He is our protector. And he is our refuge. And he is the force that fights our battles for us. And God is still among us. And we don't need a piece of fabric to wave to show what protects us in battle. We literally just hold up the staff. At the end of our staff is God. 
The Lord is our banner. Now, there are some things that I think God might have for you this morning out of this story. There's three, and two of them have to do with your struggles and your battles, but let me give you the first, which might seem like an aside, but I can't help to say it since we've read a story like this, all right? First one, our allegiance is supposed to be to something far greater than country or flag. It is to be to God. I want you to think about this. Moses does not say, Israel is my banner. This country is my banner. Our eventual kingdom is my banner. His banner is God. And that is a really important lesson for today because a weird thing that I've seen in my lifetime is people equating God and the American flag as the same thing somehow, like this. Not only is it tacky, but that's not God's style. God does not share space with the American flag. He is the flag. He's not hoping that you associate him with the flag. He's too big for that. By all means, hang an American flag outside your house. Our family does that multiple times a year. But let's not be of the mind that that is a spiritual activity. It might be patriotic, but it's not worshiping God. Patriotism, worshiping God are not the same thing. And here's the the reason I'm bringing this up. When we make the mistake of thinking they're the same thing, we might actually be confused and later find out we were worshiping a nation or a a leader or an idol. God has no interest in being associated with the American flag any more than he has interest in, in being associated with any other country's flag. What he is interested in, you ready? Being your flag, your banner. Okay, second thing, this gets into your battles. Know that as you are battling whatever you are battling, that you are being protected by something more powerful than you could ever imagine, and yet invisible. As he holds up the staff, Moses is reminding his people, hey, God had the power to change Pharaoh's mind and deliver you from slavery. And God had the power to part the Red Sea and to get water from a rock. And so this flagpole that has nothing attached is reminding them God is invisibly working behind the scenes. And I'll just tell you, today in 2023, this story is in the Bible to remind you that God is more powerful than anything you could ever imagine. For your battle, he will protect you. He is your refuge. He is your refuge shelter. And he is also working behind the scenes of whatever you have going on to bring about something good for you. And you can hope in that. You can trust in that. Remember, he is still among us, they said. That is what this staff represents. Let me share with you the third thing. This banner that is God, Jehovah Nissi, does one day become visible. Yes, Moses holds up a wooden pole with nothing on the end. But one day, a wooden pole does go up with something on it. Jesus. In Isaiah 11, Isaiah writes this. In that day, he's talking about a future day. The root of Jesse, that's Jesus, 
He's talking about a future person who will be an ancestor of Jesse. We know that that's Jesus. He says, he stands, he shall stand as a signal for the people. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. He's saying, Jesus will be the symbol of our people. We will have a physical, visible symbol. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. What do you think that's a reference to? What we just read to recover the remnant that remains of his people. He will raise up a signal for the nation. God's hand will go up with a different symbol and the symbol will be Jesus. Jesus says it himself. In John 12, Jesus says, and when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. I will be the flag on the end of this staff and the battle I'll win for you is the battle for eternity. Jesus was lifted up on the cross to face death and defeat it. And he is now our banner. And another book in the Old Testament tells us his banner over us is love. The most powerful thing God protects you with or the the reason he protects you, Jesus' love for you. So this third thing, when you are fighting a battle, what you can know is you are surrounded by Jesus who loves you. Jesus who won the ultimate battle over death. What struggles, what battles are you fighting right now? What's in your starter pack? I'll tell you, there is a God so powerful that he's already won the most significant battle and he's willing to be your banner in the battles that you are fighting right now. I'm going to invite our band back out here, and and we're going to close with one more song, and and then invite you to do something with us as we end this series. But what I want to ask you to do right now is stand with me. If you're able to, would you stand up right now? And I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and, and I want to invite you to try something a little bit different today. Would you just bring to mind the battle that you might find yourself in right now? I know sometimes it's something we want to avoid or ignore or distract from, but I want to ask you to bring it to your mind. Can you do that for a second? And then, would you imagine God on a hill as a banner waving over you his protection, his refuge, and his victory. When you're ready, I'll ask you to sing with us.